Friday, March the 26th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the EU's Techie Vaccine Summit and North Korea's new missile plane. First, the world in brief. The European Union stopped short of immediately blocking exports of coronavirus vaccines. Although Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, called on AstraZeneca to make good a shortfall of promised jabs before sending any more overseas, many of the bloc's leaders are wary of enforcing a ban. The mood of the summit turned tetchy when a group of EU countries led by Austria demanded a higher allocation of vaccines. President Joe Biden pledged to deliver 200 million COVID-19 vaccine doses by his 100th day in office at the end of April, doubling the target he set in December. The goal looks achievable. America has administered 133 million shots and is averaging more than 2 million per day. In his first formal press conference since taking office, Mr Biden also said he expected to run for re-election in 2024. The UN Security Council called an emergency meeting to discuss North Korea. The secretive state fired two ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan on Thursday, the first such launch in a year. North Korea claims the weapons are a newly developed, quote, tactical guided projectile capable of carrying a nuclear warhead. President Biden warned that further tests would elicit, quote, responses from America. Meanwhile, Taiwan said it was producing a long-range missile in a rare admission of efforts to develop the strike capacity of its armed forces. China's backlash against clothing firms who boycott Xinjiang-produced cotton continued. Nike lost its sponsorship of a lucrative Chinese esports league, while Burberry was ditched by Tencent, which featured its designs on a popular video game. Chinese celebrities have reportedly ended their associations with some 40 clothes makers, including H&M and Uniqlo. China also placed retaliatory sanctions on five British MPs who have highlighted human rights abuses in Xinjiang. America and Britain imposed sanctions on junta-controlled conglomerates in Myanmar, as the country's army continued to crack down on protests against February's coup. At least 286 people had been killed in the pro-democracy protests by Wednesday. Five more were reportedly killed yesterday. The coordinated action by America and Britain is intended to drain the armed forces' finances. Dislodging the container ship that is blocking the Suez Canal may take weeks, according to a salvage company trying to free it. The enormous vessel is preventing at least 230 ships from entering the waterway, through which 12% of the world's trade passes. Some ships are rerouting around Africa, a detour that adds over 9,000 kilometres to the journey. Ship rates are surging. And New York is set to become the latest American state to legalise recreational marijuana. Lawmakers agreed on a deal on Thursday. The bill could pass the state legislature as soon as next week. New York's pot industry will be one of the country's biggest, worth $4.2 billion by 2027, according to one estimate. And now, here's today's agenda. The disease of scepticism. Brazil's 300,000 COVID-19 deaths. The statistics are tragic, the explanation enraging. On Wednesday, Brazil recorded its 300,000th death from COVID-19. Its daily new cases rate is the highest in the world. In part, the numbers are down to epidemiology. P1, a particularly contagious strain able to reinfect those who have already had COVID-19, has ravaged the country and overwhelmed the health system. But the larger problem is political. 
President Jair Bolsonaro has spent the pandemic touting quack cures, raiding against lockdowns and trying to thwart the publication of data. The mayors and governors who control local restrictions under Brazil's federalized system have followed suit, clamping down at the beginning of the pandemic but quickly easing restrictions. Only now, amid a deadly second wave, are they reimposing stricter measures. Yet Mr. Bolsonaro continues to trivialize the pandemic and his infectious distrust lowers compliance. If only there were a vaccine for his scepticism. Unhappy birthday. Mercosur turns 30. 30 years ago, the presidents of Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay and Uruguay signed the Treaty of Asuncion, setting up Mercosur, an ambitious effort at a free trade area and customs union in South America. When their successors get together today, they won't have much to celebrate beyond Mercosur's survival. Trade within the bloc grew rapidly in the early 1990s, but peaked at 25% of its members' total trade in 1997. Now, that figure is 14%. Because of the pandemic, the birthday party will be online. Just as well, perhaps. Brazil's right-wing president, Jair Bolsonaro, and his left-wing Argentine counterpart, Alberto Fernandes, disagree about almost everything. Uruguay wants the flexibility to strike its own trade deals. The big prize for Mercosur is a trade agreement with the European Union reached in 2019. But there is little chance of its being ratified in Europe unless Mr. Bolsonaro stops encouraging deforestation in the Amazon. The Spoils of Divorce Bangladesh at 50 when East Pakistan declared independence on March 26, 1971, it had a big, poor population and little else. After a bloody war with West Pakistan, which killed between 500,000 and 3 million people, the new country became poorer still. Fast forward half a century and Bangladesh has come out on top. The average person is much richer than the average Pakistani. Before the pandemic, GDP was growing at 8% a year, faster than India's and China's. An export-oriented garment industry that employs mainly women has fueled the economy, while homegrown NGOs have improved health and education. Politicians, however, have mostly impeded progress. Since coming to power for a second time 12 years ago, the Prime Minister, Sheikh Hasina Wazid, has sought to turn Bangladesh into a one-party state. Corruption and cronyism have flourished. This will eventually have a cost. It would be a shame if Sheikh Hasina's iron grip turned Bangladesh's boom to bust. Jabs for Exiles Wang Yi in Turkey As Wang Yi, China's foreign minister, wraps up his visit to Turkey today, many fear that improving Sino-Turkish relations will come at the expense of the Uyghurs, a Muslim ethnic group persecuted by the Chinese government. The Uyghur diaspora in Turkey, tens of thousands strong, has long accused the Chinese government of pressuring Turkey to silence or extradite them. In recent years, hundreds have been arrested and threatened with deportation, according to activists. And China may be using the pandemic to increase the pressure. Turkey has ordered 100 million doses of a Chinese COVID-19 vaccine. Yet the shipments have been delayed, raising concerns that the vaccine is being used to extract new concessions, such as the ratification of an extradition treaty signed with China four years ago. Mr Wang met Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, yesterday. The extradition agreement is likely to have come up as soon as the cameras left the room. Species under threat African elephants now endangered 
There is no good reason to be on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's quote red list. The organisation compiles it to document the status of various threatened species. Its best known members include giant pandas and polar bears, which are both classed as quote vulnerable, along with, until yesterday, African elephants. But an update to the red list reflects how the elephant's situation has worsened. Recent genetic evidence divided these giants into two separate species, savannah and forest elephants. Recognising this distinction, the IUCN has upgraded their threat levels to quote endangered and quote critically endangered respectively. Some countries, such as Congo Brazzaville and Gabon, have proven that habitat management and punishing poachers can stabilise elephant populations. But the reverse also applies. Forest elephants in Ivory Coast are flirting with extinction. If these icons of biodiversity cannot be brought back from the brink, the rest of the red list has much to fear. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Walt Whitman, who died on this day in 1892. The future is no more uncertain than the present. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 